Deuteronomy 4.15 Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Now this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel before uh, they've been wandering for 40 years. Now they're getting really close to actually going into the promised land. And we know the story that that whole older generation that died in unbelief in the wilderness, their children and a few others like Joshua and Caleb are about, are about to go into the promised land. And the, and the Lord's restating a lot of the commandments that He had already given previously. He's restating it, wanting to really bring home the message to them. He says, "Don't you didn't see these uh, similitudes or like idols or images and so forth. When the Lord spoke to them out of the fire, there wasn't like a statue of God on the side or something like that that they saw. He's trying to steer them away from idolatry is the point. And so he says, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Let's skip down to verse uh, 19 and 20. And lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord thy God hath divided or given unto all nations that are under the whole heaven. But the Lord had taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto Him a people of inheritance as you are this day. It's important that we realize we're talking about worship or a relationship with God. And here we're looking at Israel. Okay? But still, we see that the Lord took them out. He called them to be His people. He took them out of Egypt and brought them this Jewish people, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and He moved them, that whole crew, that whole nation of people. He delivered them out of slavery and bondage and out of the physical land that they were. And He brought them into the place where He was wanted them to be or was bringing them. And He says, You're an inheritance unto Me. And... He had chosen them to be His special people and to worship Him alone. That's not different in this sense that God has chosen the church when He says that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that's the believers, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're the people of God. And He brought us out. He said He brought them out of the iron furnace. That's how He described their bondage to Egypt. I brought you out of the iron furnace of fire. And I've called you to be a people unto Myself. The Bible says that that now we're translating from Israel to the church. Okay, I know they're two different things. But in Christ now, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In Christ, alright? And it says, I'm just quoting from Galatians 3, if ye be Christ, if, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so, the Lord has chosen us to be a people, and He delivered us from an iron furnace, so to speak. He delivered us from the power of sin and darkness. This is not just some uh, metaphorical kind of thing. He brought us out of incredible bondage. We served a cruel taskmaster. You know that the Israelites served a cruel taskmaster in Egypt. They weren't kind. They weren't easy on them. And the more, the closer it got to where the Lord was going to bring him out, the, the more the fire was heated up, so to speak. You're going to make the same amount of bricks and we're not going to give you any straw to make the bricks. So you've got to do two things. You've got to go gather all the straw that you didn't used to have to gather and make the bricks and you can't decrease or diminish the amount of bricks you're making daily. 
And so it was just turned up and they were beaten. And the more they couldn't do it, they couldn't keep up. And they said, you're not treating us fair. We can't do this. The more they were beat. And they, the, Lord, the Lord delivered them out of that. They didn't stay in that. He says, I've seen and heard the cry of my people. I've seen the way you're being treated. And I've come down to deliver. Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. And the Lord used Jesus to deliver us. He used Him to deliver us out of a cruel taskmaster. I can promise you there's no harsher or crueler taskmaster than sin. And the Bible describes it as a bondage. It's not just, oh, we're having so, we're having so much fun in our sin. There is pleasure in it for a season, but it doesn't last long. And it's not worth all the other stuff that comes with it. Not even speaking about eternal, just even in this life, the mess and the garbage and the guilt and the shame and the filth and the destroyed lives that come from sin. It's a cruel taskmaster. And you're not ruling over sin. Sin, if you're lost and without Jesus, sin will rule over you. And He said, whoever commits sin, Jesus said in John 8, is the servant or slave of sin. So He brought us out and He called us to be His people. And He's called us to be His sons and daughters. And He's called us to be worshipers of Him. Right? He's called us to be worshipers of Him. And in Deuteronomy 4, He was telling the Israelites, don't worship idols. You're going to go into this strange land with all the different Canaanites and the different Perizzites, the Hittites, all the different Canaanites that live there. All of them had their gods that they worshipped. They're false. They're, they're, God's going to show He's mighty. He's going to move them out. He's going to bring Israel in. And He says it's wickedness. It's spiritual adultery. It's a curse. It'll bring a curse to you. And it, it's not of God. It's going to be these idols will be a snare to you. You've got to destroy them. You've got to put them out all the way. Don't worship idols. Don't worship false gods. Don't worship graven images of even something good. That's why I said you didn't see a similar to when I came and spoke to Moses on the mountain, and he saw me face to face, and y'all heard the voice of the Lord and thunderings and lightnings, and they were afraid and say, Moses, you go talk to God. We're afraid. Um, they didn't see an image or a idol or statue or anything like that. And they were told, don't do it. Don't worship the sun, the moon, any created thing. Don't worship the gods of these heathen nations that I'm about to drive out before you and you're going to possess their land. Um, now we hear this all through the Bible. Worship God. That's not an Old Testament truth. That's not a New Testament truth only. In the sense, it's, it's eternal. Men are to worship God. All of creation is to worship God. The, the trees in the hills, I don't understand. It says clap their hands to the Lord. I don't get that exactly, but I believe it. Amen. You know, it's a worship of the Lord. Angels are worshiping around the throne of God. Old Testament saints, New Testament believers washed in the blood of Jesus. Worship God. Do homage. Bow down. And this is our definition. I'm keep repeating it every week. Do homage. Bow down to. Adore. Praise. Do reverence to. Give voluntary honor to the one true living God. Voluntarily. We're not compelled to bow down like the uh, the Babylonians and the three Hebrews at the, at the, you know, the sound of the music bow down and worship uh, Nebuchadnezzar's image that he had set up. That's a compelling. That's not real worship. They were commanded to worship, but that's not real worship. Real worship has to do with a voluntary reverence bowing down to, worshiping, giving honor to, giving reverence to the Lord. Falling down, prostrate before the Lord. To the Lord and to the Lord alone. Now last week, we looked at Nadab and Abihu. Abihu. Now these two men, they did not worship a false god. They didn't worship a false deity per se. What they did do is they offered what the Bible calls strange fire unto the Lord. 
And what's significant about this is a lot of times things can be offered up in the name of the Lord, in the house of God, among the people of God, by the pastor or the music group or whatever, calling itself Christian and Christian in every way and form apparently, but strange fire can be offered up as worship unto the Lord or praise or adoration to the Lord. And we need to watch that. It's dangerous. God judged these two men. Fire came out from the altar of God and consumed them right there. As I said, I believe this was a a stark or stern example because we have it in the Bible. This was early on in the Levitical priesthood. These two men were were Aaron's sons. Aaron's tribe, the Levites, were chosen to be the priests of God. Aaron was that first high priest of this old covenant. There was to typify the new covenant and the blood sacrifices and so forth. His two sons were set apart, consecrated, called to be priests. And in their censers, it's like a little bowl, they brought strange fire and they presented it at the altar. Why they did that, I don't know. It's rebellion. It was curiosity. It wasn't God. We know that. It wasn't the Holy Spirit leading them to do that. And God had specifically commanded them not. It wasn't like they just did it out of ignorance. They were told not to do that. And so, uh, they were judged. God takes it seriously. But we saw that they didn't worship a false god per se, like an idol. They worshiped God in a false manner. All the while, they, while they were consecrated as priests unto God. Now you have to think about that for a second. This is just some ignorant person walking up, looking around, saying, this is a cool looking temple. Let's go do this sacrifice or something. These were people that knew those specific men were set. Everybody wasn't set apart to be a priest. They were set apart to be priests. The garments, the the anointing, the oil that was poured on their head, the blood of the sacrifice that was put on their their thumb and their right big toe and on their ear and so forth, separated unto God. They were instructed over and over and over again. And yet, they came and did it in the tabernacle, at the altar of the Lord. Strange fire. And they were anointed to be priests unto God and to worship God rightly. And they, they didn't. Strange fire as opposed to what God had prescribed. Strange fire as, pers- as opposed to what God had required and instructed. That's what we're talking about, strange fire. Strange fire, you look it up in the Bible, I said it last week, in the commentary, it means profane. This has to do with spiritual things and moral things, okay? Profane, unclean in a spiritual sense. Profane, foreign, to go away, or spiritual adultery. Strange fire can, and we see it, be offered up in the name of Jesus. And it's being offered up in the name of Jesus, and by in certain circles it's being promoted as true worship. It's being promoted as... Uh, worship of God. This is of God. This is anointed of God. That minister is anointed of God. That music is anointed of God. This is a move of the Holy Spirit when it is not. I'm talking about strange fire, okay? Strange fire offered up all in the name of Jesus and in the name of God and Christianity and this is worship and it's it's actually not. It's profane and it's, it's a spiritual adultery. Now, God has shown and instructed His people in all ages how to worship Him humbly, rightly, reverently, by faith. Everything has to do with being by faith in the Lord. Okay, How to approach Him. How to worship Him rightly. It matters to God. There's one thing I'm going to stress through this. First of all, God has called us to be worshiper. Every believer. If you just got saved last week, 
or you know, you can't sing or carry a tune or anything like that. Doesn't matter. He's called every believer to be a worshiper of God. And he is making us that. And there is a, and the second truth of this is that there is a way to worship God rightly. It's not a mystery. We read it in the Bible. And so he shows he, his people how to worship him rightly. It matters to God. Would you, would you say very clearly in the Bible that it matters to the Lord? First of all, we know idolatry is idolatry. Paul commands that don't, don't commit idolatry. John does in 1 John. The Old Testament, don't commit idolatry. We know that. But even those that are, know God and walk with God, in our case, blood-bought Christians, okay, that there is a way to worship God. It matters to the Lord. And it matters to us. It matters very much to the Lord. And it should matter very much to us. He tells us in His Word so that we're not just in the dark. And He enlightens us and illuminates us by the Holy Ghost to give us uh, that real direction on how to worship Him. And then He empowers us. Everything He shows us how to do and what's right and what's wrong, He also empowers us to do by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just leave us hanging uh, and not able to do it. So He leads us in true worship. True worship would be uh, worship that glorifies the Lord. I know this sounds simple, but glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. It's worship that has God Almighty as its center and sole object and no other thing. Not Christian things. Not Christian uh, uh, saints or anything like that. Or prayer. We don't worship our Bible as that. We don't worship prayer and things like we worship God. Worship God. And uh, true worship is not going to be based upon... Uh, it's not for man, so to speak. In other words, it's the object of it and the one receiving the worship is the Lord, not man. It's not based upon man's feelings and how I feel. It's not based upon uh, or arrived at. In other words, if I said, well, what's true worship? And we take a vote and we say, well, this is really popular in the church world today. This seems to really get the crowd going. This seems to get a lot of people to come back to church the next week. Look, we're packed out. True, true worship is not determined by what's most popular at any given moment in the church world. You'll understand that. It's like true doctrine and right doctrine and truth and spiritual truth is not determined by what's most popular in the church world right now today. It's not. I was just reading this. Did any of y'all read Dave Hunt's newsletter? Do y'all get that or, or go to it? I, I read it. He's, uh, I'm old school. I get it in the mail and I open it and read it. Uh, and I read it last night. He was talking about the Episcopalian Church. Now, this is not a ridicule. This is a sad state of a Protestant Christian church in America today. We know that for years now, years and years, they've been uh, condoning homosexuality. Then they went so far as to uh, to ordain homosexuals as their priests within the Episcopal Church. And they had their head bishop of the uh, Eugene Robinson years ago was the head bishop of the Episcopal Church in America, who was a openly uh, homosexual. Then they're now they're conducting homosexual weddings, and they're changing the vows from husband and wife and so forth and procreation <coughs> of children. They had to change all that up and rewrite their their standard vows about marriage. Within this is still called a Christian church. It's not Islam, right? It's not Hinduism. It's not Satanism. 
It's a Christian church. And I know that's not specifically talking about worship, but it is talking about uh, showing how they're changing with the culture. The culture is not getting better. Christ's standard doesn't change. This stuff's going to be all over the place, the world. Okay, but his doesn't change, and he's not trying by his truth or by Christian or worship or the word of God just to stay a notch ahead of, of the curve, so to speak, a little bit more moral than the world. His truth is the truth. And we're to walk in it. Worship of God is worship of God. If nobody worships God or everybody worships God, true worship is still true worship. We don't change it to make it something else. And so it's not arrived at based on what's popular even in the church world today. And so I want to read a quote by Tozer. He says, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. I'm going to read it again. Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Amen. That, that would preach right there, wouldn't it? Uh, but true worship is that which is holy. True worship is that which is Holy Spirit-led. Our God is holy. That's not a changing thing about it. And He calls us to be holy as He is holy. True worship will be holy because it will be of the Lord. It will be representative of Him and it will also be pleasing to Him. From men that have been redeemed by His grace and washed in His blood, worshiping this Lord. It will be biblical. True worship will be honoring and glorifying to Christ. It's decent. It's in order among the people of God. It's decent in order and in order in the house of God. It's not chaos. It's not all over the place and disorderly because God's not a God of disorder. He's the God of order. order. He's not the author of confusion. And I'm not saying it has to be the way that I say it has to be or that every Christian or every church on this planet has to worship the way we do it at Cornerstone. I am saying that true worship is going to be, is going to have, it's going to be biblical. It's going to be holy. It will be decent in order. It will be glorifying and honoring to the Lord. And so without question, it will be passionate. It will be wonderful. It will be awesome. It will be holy. It's going to affect the, affect the entire worshiper. That is true. So we're not saying don't be passionate. Don't get exuberant, for example, in our worship. I'm simply saying it needs to be the Holy Ghost and not my flesh, and not to be soulish, and not to be, oh, well, this is what everybody else is doing. It's kind of popular now. Let's try this. Let's do this. And, and get away from, we don't want to get away from biblical Christianity and biblical worship and worshiping God rightly. John the Beloved, we read in the Revelation, fell at the Lord's feet as dead. That's worship, believe it or not. It means to fall down before and to... to uh, to bow down before. And David says in the Psalms, I'll just read it, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee, my flesh longs for Thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. What is he saying? His whole being was longing for God. Did it affect even his flesh? He says it did. His, even his flesh was longing for the Lord. That doesn't mean it's fleshly worship. It means the whole man was... was uh, enamored with the Lord and in participating in adoration to the Lord and worship to the Lord. It's not just some dead religious, um, you know, dry religious type of thing. Uh, we're all given over, the whole man is given over in, in worship to the Lord in voluntary honor 
in adoration to our Savior and our God and our King. Both for what He's done and for who He is. Remember, we need to worship the Lord not only for what He's done for us. We can start listing out the things He's done for us. But also for who He is. And I think the more we grow in the Lord, the more we're going to come to know Him for who He is and worship Him just for who He is. God, You're holy. You know what I'm saying? God, You're awesome. God, You're great. Or just maybe not even words. Couldn't even put it into words. And just begin to worship the Lord. Now, our main text this morning, I want you all to turn with me to John chapter 4. We all know this passage here. That really the whole chapter deals with one account. But let's look at John chapter 4. Jesus is going to be going to Samaria. There's two musts must in this chapter. The Lord said, I must go to Samaria. And He tells the woman at the well, you must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And this is what we're going to talk about. So I want to give a quick background before we read. We're going to start reading in verse 4. But uh, Jesus is passing through and His disciples would have had no idea that He actually wanted to go to Samaria. as a physical place, okay, outside of, of Israel. And we know the story, the Samaritans and the Jews had no dealings with each other is the way the Bible puts it. They really didn't. We're not just talking about like a racism or something like that. We're talking about very segregated societies. The schools, the work, the fellowship, the eating, the everything. Worship, whole bit was totally segregated. They did not have dealings with each other. So it's the middle of the day and His disciples are going to look for something to eat, but He says, I've got to go I've got to go to Samaria. So he goes straight to Jacob's well. And he and you know that he, the Lord knowing all things knew that this encounter was going to happen. This is why he went there. He went for that woman. And that woman, in a very short time, was going to become a believer. Very quick time after this encounter with the Lord. And she was going to go around up others and bring them to the Lord as well. And so Samaritans were going to be becoming believers, this group anyway, in a short time. But he goes there, he goes to the well. Let's pick up in verse, read 4-7 through seven and we'll skip down. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he into a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the, to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied, with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That would be noon. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Okay, we'll stop there. And then, we just don't have time to read the whole thing, but this begins an encounter or a discussion or discourse between Jesus and this woman. First of all, the Samaritans and Jews would never be sitting together talking like this. And then on top of that, publicly in the middle of the day, and on top of that, a man and a woman, Jew and Samaritan. It was Everything was out of whack except it was exactly what God wanted to do. Okay, He loves the, them. You know, He loves the Samaritan people and so forth. He loves all men. And so He begins to talk to her about her life. And kind of like in Sunday school, we talked about you have to come to a place where you recognize your own sinful condition. And Jesus very quickly brought this woman to a place of recognizing her own sinful condition. And we'll get down to this, this part in verse, uh, let's read 19 through 24. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive, I perceive that thou art a prophet. 
based on things he had told her about her own life. Well, she was right in her perception. He's more than a prophet, but he was a prophet. Our father worshipped, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you, as a Jew, ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem. Worship the Father. Ye worship you know not, uh, nor yet, I'm sorry, at Jer Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper must shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So he's given some, some clear instructions. Her question was, you know, I don't know, you Jews say worship there, our fathers worshiped over in this mount. He kind of cut through all that. He said, woman, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. And he says salvation is of the Jews. First of all, he said one thing in order. That's not being arrogant or anything else. It's not my plan or your plan. It's God's plan that salvation is of the Jews. That's how He's chosen it to be. Jesus Christ is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant in a natural sense of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, all the way through. Okay, And the Lord has chosen it to be that way. He chose Israel to be this light to the Gentiles. And then when He came, He brought that message first to the Jews. And then when they rejected, it was broadened. He always intended to bring it to the Gentiles, but He just had an order. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Okay? And He's saying, woman, you don't even know what you're worshiping or who you're worshiping. We know who we worship. Salvation <clears throat> is of the Jews. And so there's a worship that is to be with knowledge with spiritual knowledge and understanding in spirit and in truth. Worship with true understanding. Worshiping the Lord in truth. Not with a book knowledge or a head knowledge, but in a real revelation knowledge of who I am, who the Lord is. Real spiritual knowledge to worship. You're worried about this mountain or that mountain or whose father or this father. You don't even know who you worship. She had to first be brought to a relationship with God. Right? Her sins separated her from her God. She couldn't worship the Lord in that condition. She had to be born again. And she'd know the Lord. Then she could come to worship the Lord. Right? And she would soon come to in, in, this, in this encounter with the Lord. But how could she wor worship who she didn't even know? She had to be reconciled unto God. And then she had to come to worship this God with a knowledge and an understanding. Not just showing up some pagan ritual and it's whatever else is doing. They say, stand up. I'm standing up now. They're banging a drum. I guess it's time for that now. Not even knowing what you're doing. You know, come. you got to know God. This is life eternal. That they may know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. When you don't even know the Lord, how can you worship? Okay? And He says there's an hour coming when uh, we're not going to worship in this mountain or that mountain. When Christ came, He brought in the fact that the kingdom of heaven is within you. He brought in a new relationship and it's not based on a physical place or a physical land or a physical people. It's based on an individual encounter with the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord and our sins being forgiven and so forth. And so then she could worship the Lord rightly. But let's look at 23 and 24. This is our main text. We read it already. I want to read it again. But the hour cometh and now, we're, now is 
when the true worshiper, that means there could be a false worshiper. Not of a false god, that's another story, but a true, a false worshiper of Jehovah as opposed to a true worshiper of Jehovah. The true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. You know, the Bible's full of a lot of must. You must do this. People don't like to hear that. Because that puts some kind of responsibility on them. That puts some kind of obligation on them. There's a judgment that comes with that. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have done that. People don't want to hear that. If it's just coming from some arbitrary person, we don't want to hear it. But we better hear it when it's coming from God. He's our God and our Creator. There's a lot of things He tells us we should do and shouldn't do. And He says that the Father... It's an amazing thing to me when you really stop and think about it that God the Father is seeking, it says right here, men to worship Him that way. He's actually looking for people that will worship Him rightly. It's a big deal to Him. It matters to Him. Like Christ came to seek and save the lost, the Father seeking such that will worship Him. How? In spirit and in truth. It matters to the Lord. He could be here at this church this morning. I know He's here with us. You know what my point, but looking to see in my heart, in your heart, who in this congregation... I know they're saved, but who in this congregation is worshiping me in spirit and truth? He's looking for people that the Father's seeking such to worship Him. And I think that's an amazing thing. That means to earnestly desire. And it says seeking. He's earnestly desiring men to worship Him in that way, in spirit and in truth, by the blood of Jesus, not in some dead religious form, not merely in some formalism, not half hearted worship. Have you ever offered up half-hearted worship to the Lord? I have. Okay, even as a Christian, as a believer, uh, He doesn't want just the lip service. He doesn't want us just to honor Him with our mouth, but our heart be far from Him. He's looking for people that will worship Him rightly by the blood of Jesus, that know Him, that have been born of His Spirit, forgiven of their sins and so forth, that will worship Him by the revelation knowledge of the Holy Ghost. Alright? It's important to the Lord empowered by the Lord, um, His resurrection life within us, our worship back unto the Lord. And so, um, it, uh, worship is, is in spirit and in truth and we offer it as redeemed back unto the Lord. Okay? Back unto the Lord. Remember, the Holy Spirit does not speak of Himself. He glorifies Jesus Christ. So if I'm worshiping the Lord in spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, in truth, then the Holy Spirit, if He's really involved in that, and it's being led by the Holy Spirit, it's going to glorify Jesus Christ. It's not going to be a glorifying man or a particular church or anything like that. It's going to glorify Jesus Christ. That would include our worship, our doctrine, everything. And so, uh, He magnifies the Lord. He points men to Christ. Jesus said, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will bring to remembrance all things I've spoken to you. He will not speak of Himself. He'll glorify Me. He'll take the things that are mine and show them unto you. So how can I properly worship the Lord without the Holy Spirit? You understand what I'm saying? In spirit and in truth. The Lord knows. And He's able by His Spirit to magnify Jesus Christ in our worship. But spirit and truth are both required. Spirit and truth are both required. And so, we worship the Lord by faith. We worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
We believe what He's done in faith. We believe He is and that He's rewarded them that diligently seek Him. And we're led by His Spirit. And we're filled with His Spirit. Worship in Spirit and truth, y'all. You know what? It insists. If I'm worshiping in Spirit and truth, this is what we're talking about this morning. If I'm worshiping God rightly in Spirit and truth, it insists that there be no hypocrisy in our worship. Right? Spirit and truth. There's no place for hypocrisy. There's just no place for it. It has to be real. It can't be fabricated. It can't be fake. It can't be say, well, let me see if I can impress these people over here in this part of the church with how I worship. It's, that's a hypocrisy. That's, it's got to be solely focused upon the Lord. There's no place for that. It has to go. There's no place for hypocrisy in our lives. There's no place for hypocrisy in the church. There's no place for hypocrisy in my worship to God, privately or publicly. There's just not. It just has to go out the window. Anything that would be in a pretense, anything that would be a form, I want these people around me to think I'm Christian. I want these people around me to think I'm holy. I'm going to do this. That has to go. If you're not saved, get saved. If you are saved, then forget about what people around you think and worship God. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. He's going to lead us. Let me tell you uh, just quickly, I think it's important. The Jews, now remember, Jesus is a Jew. The Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. I'm going to tell you just a very, very quickly a little brief history. The Samaritans and Jews, how do they get segregated? How do they get divided? Well, remember when the kingdom of Israel divided in, Jer- in Rehoboam and Jeroboam's day? Solomon died, his, king, his son Rehoboam became king, the kingdom split, and uh, Jeroboam was a very ungodly man, the son of Nebat, he's one of the worst of all, became the king of Israel, and Rehoboam continues the king of Judah. Well, the Samaritans didn't want to go back to Jerusalem every year to worship. And, they, and Jeroboam, he's more like thinking politically, okay? Not thinking spiritually at all. He tells his people, because he knew if they went back to Jerusalem to worship, their hearts would be there and they would stay there and leave his kingdom. And he's probably right. So he says, it's, he, you know what he does? He tries to make it a thing of convenience. He goes, oh, Israelites, it's, it's a long way to travel back to Jerusalem. And that's too hard of a journey. Let's just stay here and worship. And he set up idols there. And he set up, he t- says he took the, those base of the people and made them priests unto God. To me, it's like the seeker-friendly church taken to the nth degree. And they begin to worship and the people that weren't called to be priests and anointed by God or chosen were the priests. And the worship was all fabricated. It was all made up. And they, but they still did it all in the name of the Lord. They did it over there. They didn't do it the way God required to go to Jerusalem in the temple and with the Levitical priests and so forth. So over the years, they just grew. You know, so They intermarried with other people as well. I'm not saying the Jews were perfect. I'm simply saying this was the division. This is where it came from. And so the Jews had, for the most part, over the years, and we see Jesus dealing with the, the Jews oftentimes in the Gospels, right? The Jews had pretty much reduced worship down to some outward forms and observances, for the most part. It's not every Jewish person. It's not every Jewish priest. Some were, became believers and, and had a true heart for God, like Zechariah, John the Baptist had, so forth. So it's not a condemnation of every Jew, but for the most part, Judaism in Jesus' day, had reduced worship, all what we call worship, when the Lord calls worship, 
to some outward forms and observances. It was not what God wanted. What had the Samaritans done? The Samaritans had a false worship. But these two aren't getting along with each other. Okay? False worship that had no scriptural authority or basis. They were just out there. They had nothing to back it up from. Not Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. None of it backed up what they were doing. Okay? As, as Jews and as, or as people of God. And so the Lord, Jesus, in, in this passage that we're reading in John 4 is literally rebuking both of them. He's rebuking the Jews and He's rebuking the Samaritans. Okay, And He's saying there can't be any hypocrisy. It has to be in spirit and in truth. It's not about this mountain or that mountain. It's not about this city or that city. It is about uh, spirit and in truth. Okay, And so the woman had been told a different way and a different place to worship, but the Lord told her the truth. And the Holy Spirit is always leading us in that right way. According to the Word of God, Abel, how did Abel know how to worship the Lord? I mean, Adam and Eve's first two sons, Cain and Abel, how did he know how to worship the Lord? He didn't have the Bible. Holy Spirit had to have led him, right? In his conscience, in his heart, he had to have known that when I approach God, I can't do it without a blood sacrifice. Because at the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. How would he have known that? There wasn't any Scripture before that that we read that told him how to do that. It had to be the Holy Ghost, Old Testament, okay, leading this man in the right way to approach God and to worship God. And what kind of sacrifice to bring to the Lord? Cain, on the other hand, what did he do? Holy Ghost is around him as well. But Cain came more like Jeroboam. He came more like convenience. He offered what he thought was best. He offered what seemed to be right. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel and to his offering. The New Testament, Jesus called him righteous Abel. Okay? That God had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, God had not respect, nor to him, nor to his offering. Doesn't mean he rejected the man totally, because even after that, if you read in Genesis, God gave him another chance. It says, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Hallelujah. He didn't kill him right there. He says, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. God's Spirit leads us in the right way to approach God. We have so much more than Cain and Abel. we got the whole Bible here. Okay, to know how to worship God rightly and to approach the Lord. And so, uh, a lot of times Christians, and this is what I want to talk about, we're going to, we're going to bring this to a close, that a lot of times, y'all, and I'm talking about being Spirit-led in our worship, Spirit-empowered in our worship, that it's not just my flesh, so to speak, but it is the Spirit of God using my hands and my flesh and my mouth to worship the Lord. Or maybe I'm silent before the Lord at certain times, falling before Him in awe and I can't even utter a word. That could be worship too. Okay, We've mentioned the woman twice the last two weeks. The woman at Jesus' feet. She had, had a notable sinner. God had forgiven, the Lord had forgiven her sins, had mercy and compassion upon her. And he's sitting at a table full of refined people. And while he's sitting at the table full of refined people, being very polite with Jesus, she's worshiping. And she's weeping tears of joy at the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet, kissing his feet, and with her tears that are falling from her forgiven eyes herself. She's weeping and washing his feet with those tears, taking the hairs of her head and drying them. And no music and no songs and no 
fanfare and nobody telling her what to do. It was worship though, right? She was worshiping the Lord. And so the Holy Ghost leads us into right worship. It must be in truth though. It's not a hypocrisy. She wasn't a hypocrite. She wasn't putting on a show for anybody. She was probably putting herself in a very precarious position just by being there. They all knew what kind of woman. She had been a prostitute. What kind of woman she was. And she's right there and she just pressed through all of that that would have stopped her to be with the Lord and meet with Him and to worship Him. There wasn't hypocrisy and obviously it was Holy Ghost led. The Lord commended her and said this is going to be a memorial for her wherever this Gospel is preached. We're going to talk about this right here. Anointing His head with the expensive perfume and so forth. So the Holy Ghost leads us into worship. Here's what I want to talk about as we bring this to a close. As Christians, I'm talking to the, preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to people that are born again. As Christians, we need to be very careful that we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we need to be very careful that we don't worship our worship. And I probably know what I mean by that, but I'm going to try to explain it anyway. I want to say that uh, I've seen in our day, I don't think I'm the only one that's seen it, and I don't think it's the only church or anything like that. I'm not claiming any special revelation. I'm simply saying I've seen where people can worship their worship as opposed to worshiping God. And there is a difference. I'll give an example. Uh, well, I can't worship You right now, Lord, but you would never say these words. But in a church service, for example, or a Bible study, or a conference, or some Christian conference, or whatever, because that's not my favorite singer singing, or that's not my favorite song. Or that's not, I like when this group sings the song and not that group. Or these people singing, they're too old. I want the younger people to sing. Or I can't receive that message or that word because that's not Pastor so and so preaching it. That's somebody else preaching it. And y'all, we've gotten way, way, way out of whack. It has to be about the Lord. It has to be. And so I can't, uh, we would never say those words, but I've seen it with my own eyes, and you probably have too. I can't. If God is this great God and He redeemed me while I was lost and in my sin, He's worthy of all praise and adoration, how little I've made my God if I can only worship Him if everything's just the way I want it. I mean, that's, that's sad. I've made my God really, really little. He can only fit in this box. I, I, you know, I can only worship Him if pastor so-and-so is preaching. I can only worship Him if the group I like singing. But if some older people get up there and they start singing, uh, I'll get bored and look around and wish it was over and look at my watch. Where's God in all that? Where's true worship of God in all that? That's where I'm saying I think people have been duped into or come to a place where they're worshiping what they think is God if they're really worshiping their worship. They're worshiping the feeling they get when they're around a bunch of young people that are their same age. Or a bunch of old people their same age. You understand what I'm saying? Or when so-and-so comes to speak. Or this visiting preacher has a, a South African accent I think is really cool. So everything he says, I, I get goosebumps. You know? And we worship that. We're, as opposed to being worshiping in spirit and truth. No, worship God. Amen. Worship God. We don't worship our worship. You know, I, I can't, I can only, like I said, I can only get into it, so to speak, if the mood's right, if the atmosphere's right, 
if the certain lighting's here, if there's, uh, like I said, more young people or less young people, whatever, and, we, and how little we've made our God, that just reveals how unspiritual we are and how we've missed the Lord. I should be able to worship God just because He's God and who He is. He's big enough. No instruments, maybe a lot of instruments. I'm not saying it's simple. We do instruments. You understand my point. But it has to be, the heart of it has to be the Lord. And so many people bounce around from place to place. Oh, and they're just swaying and everything when everything's just perfect the way they want it. But if it was, let's say it was a college age person, and all of a sudden uh, they're in a church with mostly people my age, you know, or little kids. Oh, they're kind of be looking for a new church pretty soon. You see, they can't worship God because they're singing hymns as opposed to some more uh, modern music. I'm not opposed to either one. You know, understand my point. But I ought to be able to worship God. If I'm on vacation and go to a Baptist church in Orange Beach, Alabama, and all they sing is four hymns, I should be able to worship God. Yeah. I can't speak for everybody there. They might not even know the Lord, some of them. Okay? It wouldn't be with my first choice, maybe of everything, but God is my first choice. I went to a Christian house of God, that man preaching, he's going verse by verse study through the book of John. Okay? I ought to be able to jump in there in John chapter 14 if that's where we're visiting and worship the Lord. Because I'm thankful for God and thankful for His Word and singing His praises. And I think instead of looking around kind of smirking like, look how, you know, frozen chosen and all that kind of stuff, I should be able to worship the Lord. I don't want to reduce my God down to what I think it has to be the right atmosphere and so forth. So I think in a lot of cases, when people do worship their worship, and it's the Lord's not even the focus or the center of that adoration at all. And so one of one of the clear Bible truths that we're, we're given in John chapter four is that we are to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. He's seeking such. So y'all understand what I'm talking about? Worship in our worship. I, I pray that I made that clear. I'm not against young people, old people, hymns, contemporary music. I'm saying in all of that. It has to be the Lord. And I cannot reduce my worship down to the feeling I get when I worship. You know what I'm talking about? You'll hear people, we really had church today because everybody held hands at the altar. That was real worship because we all held hands together. It might have been a wonderful thing, but the point is, what about the other times? Is it not worship? Do we have to do that? It needs to be bigger than that. God is bigger than that. Now, y'all, the answer to this, and I'm closing with this, the answer to it all, to me, and there's so much that can be said on worship, y'all, that I'm, I'm not probably touching on it all, but true, truly seeing the Lord takes care of all of that. And I'm saying truly seeing the Lord because I don't have to be, I don't have to be worked up through the music. I don't have to have somebody that tugs at my heartstrings to make me cry or to make me laugh. I don't have to have that. Truly seeing the Lord will, will answer all the problems of worship. And I know that from the Bible. When, when Isaiah says, I was, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, saw the Lord sitting on His throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And then his reaction beyond that, I'm unclean, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm undone. He was just 
he had no control probably of his faculties. He was just in awe of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. That's what we need to see. We see the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. We can worship him. Remember, worship is the only proper response from a sinful man back unto this holy God. And and we need to be, y'all, it just solves all the problems. It solves all this. This kind of music, that kind of music, young people, older people, this preacher, that preacher, certainly needs to preach the truth, okay? And certainly the music needs to be honoring to God and not some false stuff or of some other spirit. But the point is, seeing the Lord takes care of all that. You and I at this altar here tonight, today and regularly, we need to get on our knees before the Lord. And we need to fall on our faces before the Lord. We need to pray. And we need to be baptized in the Spirit of God and in fire. And we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we need to wait on the Lord and learn what that means. And, and He's going to begin to work in our lives. I'm not saying to save us. I'm speaking to save people. He's going to take us from where we are. He will when we do these things. And He's going to make us worshipers of the Lord. More so. More so than we are now. And, and uh, do we worship the Lord in spirit and truth and the cleansing of His Spirit and that sanctifying fire. He's going to be to clear, clear our vision out where we see the Lord rightly and see Him high and lifted up. He's going to make us worshipers of the Lord. And we'll close with this passage. It says in the Bible, Now the Lord is that Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17 And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, that's a look of faith, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what are we talking about worship? I need, it's imperative, y'all. Not that we come up with some new songs for next week. Okay? It's imperative that we see Jesus. It's imperative that we see the Lord. It's imperative that we, we see Him lifted up where He is. And this Bible says that we're changed by the Spirit of the Lord as we behold the glory of the Lord into that same image. To me, that's worship as well. We're being made like this God that we gaze upon by faith. So I need to spend time gazing upon the Lord. I don't need to worship my worship or worship my pastor or worship my church or worship my church service. I need to worship God. And I need to see Him lifted up. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to get our faces before the Lord. For the Lord, and we need to be filled with the Spirit. And we need to see the Lord lifted up. Amen. And and y'all, the, the altar's open, and who's ever coming to, to close it, if you would. And while you're praying, I want to read this passage from Revelation. But you can go in and start praying even now and call upon the Lord. Can we just make it uh, our heart's prayer this morning? One prayer that we would see the Lord lifted up, and that we would be a people that regularly see Jesus by faith lifted up. If you have, or I have worshipped our worship, worship and made our God really small, we can only worship Him if everything's exactly the way we want it. Ask God to forgive us. Ask Him to show you. Ask God to, to make Himself bigger than that in our estimation. And we need to see the Lord this morning. Now this is John. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now you, you just go and continue to pray. I just want to read this. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book and send it unto the seven churches. And he names the churches. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. 
And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and death. And Father, we, we read this account of John the Beloved. Fallen at your feet as dead, seeing you in your resurrected glory, seeing you, God, through in, in a way that we have not, Lord God. Isaiah, seeing the Lord sitting on His throne, high and lifted up. God, we want to see You and behold You by faith that we would worship You more fervently, that we would worship You in spirit and in truth. We wouldn't have to have a certain song send chills up and down our spine. That we would look at God, His uncreated eternal God and Savior, full of mercy and grace and truth. We would look upon You and see You, God, and be compelled to give that voluntary honor to You. To fall before You. To worship You. To lift up holy hands to You, God. I pray that You would help us. Help me, Lord. If for nobody else in this whole church, this series and this sermon today is for me. I want to be a worshiper of God. Because, Lord, You're earnestly seeking and desiring such to worship You that way. That's an amazing thing. You're looking for people, even among Your people. Saved people that You've already redeemed. They're going to spend eternity with You in heaven. You're looking among Your people for those that will worship You in spirit and in truth. You're earnestly desiring that, Lord. And I pray that You would find that at Cornerstone. I pray You'd find that in my life. A true worshiper. It sets all pretense aside without hypocrisy. And worships you biblically and rightly by the power of the Holy Ghost. Not some other spirit. Not soulishly. Not in my flesh. But in the power of the Holy Spirit with that knowledge of the Holy Ghost. Would you grow us as worshipers, God? Would you grow the little children here as worshipers? Let us come and lead by example and worship and show others, God. 